Welcome, everybody, to Studio B. I am your host, Pastor MDH, and we thank you again for joining us for another episode here on the set. Uh, Remember, wherever you are watching us from, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, no matter where that may be, YouTube, like, follow, subscribe, comment, share, uh, so that you can continue to stay in the loop. Um, with all things pertaining to Studio B. And no matter where you access your podcast from, uh, Apple, Spotify, Google, Pandora, we are also on those same platforms. And so you can download it from that place as well. I want to just take a couple of seconds. Um, We just now of last week hit 3,000 subscribers on YouTube. I want to thank you for all of those who tune in every single week. Um, And I I pray uh, in Jesus name that you are being well informed um, and equipped with the conversations and dialogue that we have here on the set. Um, I was asked a question uh, by my wife uh, the other day um, about Studio B and the original intent of Studio B was to provide a platform um, because there are many people that are not going to don the halls of a church and listen to a man behind a lectern. Um, declare the word of God in an open church setting. Uh, So one of the visions of Studio B was to take everyday mainstream issues um, that are affecting everybody, no matter what race you are, no matter what economic class you're in, just life issues, and then merge those to a biblical belief. Um, And saying by what does the Bible say about X, Y and Z. And so typically what we do is what is dominating the headlines of whatever news station that you happen to watch uh, that is dominating the headlines of society. We typically tackle those issues, but not just talk about them from a nauseating standpoint. Uh, We try to bridge that and say, okay, here are the issues that are uh, that are plaguing our land. Uh, What does the Bible, what does the word of God, what does God himself say about these particular issues that we're facing? And so it's taking everyday mainstream issues, uh, money issues, family issues, social unrest, political unrest, wherever that may be in whatever uh, household it may be affecting and then bridge that to what the Bible says. And the wonderful thing about the Bible is that no matter where you are in your life, No matter what you may be going through in your life, uh, there is not one single person that can say I'm the only one going through it Uh, because the Bible says that there is no problem that is taken to you for such as common to man. And so no matter where you are in life, no matter what you may be going through, uh, the Bible, the word of God, God's inspired word can speak to that situation. And oftentimes what it does is provide you clarity uh, because we're living in a world with so much noise. Uh, We're living in a world where everybody has an opinion. Everybody chimes in. Um, But just because you have an opinion doesn't mean it's a valuable opinion. And so the word of God offers such great comfort in being able to navigate uh, through these muddy waters. And so that's the vision of of Studio B. And so the guest uh, that we bring on, we try to make sure that we are connecting uh, mainstream issues. And I try to bring on guests uh, on this particular podcast that are qualified to speak in the areas of the topics that we are discussing. 
And so it's very, very important that we do that. And those who have known me for a while, um, I am a self-professed nerd. I try, and this is not to toot my own horn in any way, shape, or form. The Bible says uh, that don't sing your own praises, let another man do that. So I will not do that. But I consider myself to be a well-researched person. Uh, And I understand the value of words, especially as my assignment as a pastor, uh, public speaker, and all of the rest. Uh, So I do understand that my words matter. And so before I get out there and take a stance or a hard stance on any particular issue, I like to well-verse myself in it um, so that I don't perpetrate false narratives and false information. Um, Now, I don't get it right 100% of the time, but I try to make sure as best as it depends on me, uh, I try to make sure that I'm well-versed about the things that I draw lines in the sand on. And so that's the platform of what we do here at Studio B. And I know that there are a plethora of podcasts out there, man, a thousand and one of them. And everybody's got a particular uh, angle by which they approach their podcast. And I value all of those. Um, But the thing that separates us here at the studio is that these mainstream issues that affect everyday people's lives, uh, we try to connect them with the word of God and bring it in such a way um, that it's not preachery, but it's practical and that you have some some everyday um, practical ways by which to apply what you hear on the set. And so I thank you from the bottom of my heart for all of those who tune in. Uh, man, it does not go unnoticed. Uh, to the people that have sent me emails, I want to reply back to you um, to see if I can read some of those emails on air next week. Uh, so be looking out for a reply from me personally um, at PastorMDH at StudioB.com. Uh, I will see send a reply to you asking your permission if I can share about four of those emails that I've gotten over the last couple of weeks that greatly encourage me, that greatly encourage me to continue to do the work here. And the team that's here, Steve Miller and Dominique Kennard, uh, are working diligently to make sure that we bring quality, quality um, um, products to you so that your time is valuably invested. And so I'll be sending that email out to you to uh, those four people because I believe those four testimonies um, will give great insight to what we do here uh, on the set of Studio B. So without any further ado, man, thank you, thank you, thank you. I just wanted to take some time uh, to thank you, man. We're about nine months into this thing and 3,000 subscribers in. I believe we're going to grow this thing to about 15,000 by the end of the year uh, because I believe it's relevant content that people want to hear. I believe that it's something that is engaging And I believe that we're talking about issues, not just from the issue standpoint, not just from a pundit or a particular viewpoint or a particular party or from a particular perspective, um, but try to get the broad perspective to hear all angles of what's going on in our culture. So everybody, thank you again. Uh, for tuning in, for for following, for commenting, for liking, for sharing. It is greatly, 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 greatly appreciated. Uh, So on today's um, uh, podcast, now for the last couple of weeks, I've had some really good friends of mine, uh, Pastor James Lee, who was to my left, and Pastor Lawrence Scott, who was to my right. Um, They are part of a brotherhood that we have called CURB, uh, K-I-R-B, and it means keeping it real brothers. Um, We have uh, Pastor Scott, Pastor Lee, Deacon Booker, Corey Fontenot, and Scotty Clark. Um, We've been going at this probably for about 11 years. It was kind 
kind of a makeshift kind of deal um, where it all just kind of started at a local, you know, dinner for, you know, just kind of getting together. And then God morphed it um, into this particular accountability group. And the group and the group is full of people who are really smart um, and offer a wide range of uh, of perspectives and viewpoints. Um, it is a great organization, not organization, but group and accountability group for me to be in personally um, because it broadens my horizon. And so it's it's, it's with some people that um, we don't all share the same viewpoints on a lot of different issues. Uh, but what we have in Curb is uh, a platform by which we can espouse what we believe in a safe environment and not get beat up because of it. And so that's kind of what I want to talk about today, because um, what we'll be talking about today is something that is dear to my heart because of what I do. Um, yes, for a living, but even more so as a calling uh, in my job to be a calling and in my job to be a pastor and in my fulfillment to do what God has laid up on my heart to do. My voice is that instrument. Uh, my mind is that instrument. Um, my mind, my mouth, my words are for me like the hands are for the mechanic or like the hands are for the surgeon. Um, it is what I use to exercise the gift by which God is placed in me. And public speaking is a part of it, but pastoring and, and speaking and encouraging people is a deeper part of what I do. So words matter to me. They're very, very important. And I understand the power behind them. Uh, the Bible even says that um, you can create life or death by the power of your tongue. Uh, James talks about that this little thing inside of our mouth that has been put behind teeth and wrapped inside a jawbone um, can set hell on fire. That is so small, but this small thing in our mouth can literally guide or direct uh, the course of our life. So, so words matter. Um, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so the Bible has a lot to say about what we say, how we say it, the words in which we communicate. And so living in America, it is even more important. I won't go down this big history um, um, tangent and won't go down this, you know, rabbit trail. Um, but history is a purveyor of how we got here. Uh, the book of Ecclesiastes says that there is nothing new under the sun. If you want to know what's going to happen, simply look at what has already happened. Life is cyclical. Um, it happens over and over again. Right. And so if we don't learn from our mistakes, then we're doomed to repeat them. Uh, and so one of the things that we're going to be talking about today, and it again, it is very, very important, um, but I want to talk about today about canceling the cancel culture. Um, this cancel culture that we now find ourselves in in 2021 has gotten to a place um, that is very, very disturbing to me personally. And again, I have some some I have some um, some stock in this game because of what I do. Uh, but it's very, very um, disappointing and very, very concerning to me that the cancel culture that we are now living in is as prevalent as it is right now. Uh, the cancel culture is now just a part of the American landscape as apple pie. Uh, canceling somebody, shutting down somebody, disassociating from people or groups simply because you don't agree with the message that they have is now become the norm. So cancel culture simply means if you propagate something that I don't agree with, um, I don't say things like that's your belief. You can do what you want. You can think what you want. You can say what you want. Uh, it is America and we are allowed those certain freedoms. I don't I know I don't say that now. Here's what I say. I don't like it. And because I don't like it, I'm going to shut you down. 
And everybody, that is a dangerous place for us to be in, um, in, in American culture. And I'm talking specifically to American culture because I'm an American. I live in the United States of America. I will broaden that um, as we see fit. But right now I'm talking about uh, locally here in the United States, this cancel culture um, that has really, 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 really gotten out of hand. Um, everybody knows where I stand on certain issues, and I try to make sure that the issues in which I stand on, that they're not made of straw. Uh, so I try to make sure that they are well-researched and that they can hold the weight of my argument um, as to not be made a fool of when I make those arguments public. Uh, so I try to make sure that I don't have straw arguments, but very, very solid and well-researched um, opinions. And in that same manner, this thing about cancel culture should be very alarming to everyone. Um, Very, very alarming to everyone, because one of the core staples of our democracy uh, is the freedom of speech. Um, Now, you got to go all the way back to when, you know, uh, the United States of America gained its independence from Great Britain and how the First Amendment, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of press and all of those things came to be. Um, You got to go all the way back there to really understand why the First Amendment is so very, very important to American culture and to American uh, life. But it is one of the staples of our um, ways here in America. Um, The freedom of speech, the freedom of press, the freedom of thought um, is so valuable here because those things spur invention. They spur uh, discourse. They spur change. When freedom of thought and the freedom of ideas are being able to be exchanged in a way that does not degrade them, it leads to success. It leads to greater things happening. But when we shut those things down and not just shut them down, but we discourage those things from happening, we start to enter into territories that I think it's very, very difficult to come back from. Now, 2020, as we have talked about many times before, and we had to talk about it many times before um, because it was just pervasive in the landscape that we were in last year. Um, nobody was able to get away from uh, the political confusion, the social unrest and the protest and all of the things that were kind of in 2020, uh, COVID-19 and all of the rest. So we had to talk about those issues because we were dealing with those issues every single day. And so last year around uh, the summertime, you know, we had a real big spark that turned into a real big fire uh, in the United States of America. It is when uh, George Floyd lost his life um, at the hands of those Minneapolis uh, police um, uh, policemen. Um, That was the spark that set the blaze in 2020. And I believe it was one of the most pivotal things that happened in 2020. COVID-19, withstanding COVID-19, of course, dominated the entire year. Uh, But the George Floyd um, protests and the George Floyd, all of the things that were surrounding that was really that spark um, that really kind of ignited all of these things that are currently on the landscape right now. And because of what went on and the detriment by which George Floyd lost his life and anybody and, and I have personally friends on both sides. I have white friends, black friends, Hispanic friends, Asian friends. Uh, I have Democrat friends and Republican friends and independents and everybody that I talked to during that time. All of them stood in solidarity about the heinousness of George Floyd's death and the way by which that officer, uh, um, Derek Chauvin, placed his knee on that neck uh, for eight minutes and 11 seconds. 
Uh, everybody remembers that. Everybody was enraged and outraged as well as they should have uh, because an injustice had hit our landscape and we needed uh, to respond to it in an appropriate way. We had to uh, respond to it socially and we also had to respond to it biblically. And everybody that I talked to um, and everybody that was within my circle all agreed um, that that needed some definite attention and we needed to approach it in a very aggressive way. Way. And so I believe that from the top all the way to the bottom and from the left all the way to the right, everybody was equally as outraged by the George Floyd incident um, as many were. Now, of course, you got some French people on the side, as we talked about last week with my Curb brothers, that are going to be to the extreme, either to the left or to the right. You can't do nothing about those people. But logical people looked at what went on last summer with the George Floyd incident and were uh, rightly concerned about what they saw. But that led to what could have been a pivotal moment in doing some positive things to really begin to reconcile some, some things in our, in our system and in our system of government that still needs some overriding. That was the spark. That was the thing that could have led to some very, very positive things happening. Um, you've heard me say that that particular movement got hijacked. And the, and the good things that could have happened by the solidarity of people, by everybody being outraged at what happened and bringing people to a mutual place to where we can talk about issues and get some grassroots solutions actually done, got hijacked to the degree that it took our eyes off of the prize and put them on all these other things that had nothing to do with George Floyd. Um, we got our attention turned relatively quickly and the attention that should have been placed on that injustice quickly got diverted to other issues. And so that led to a whole series of things um, that is happening started back in June of last year that is continuing to happen even in March of 2021. Uh, this cancel culture. In July of 2020, uh, in, an, uh, in an attempt, in my opinion, a futile attempt uh, to reconcile the masses, uh, decisions were made to um, to racially uh, put everybody on the same playing field. And so uh, there were a group of people that looked at all of these things that they believed were racist and they attacked them with veracity. And one of the first things that they did in June, excuse me, July of 2020 was they began to start taking things off, uh, in particular, like the Aunt Jemima. They took uh, Uncle Ben. They took Mrs. Butterworth. They took Landa Lakes, uh, the, the, the people off of these particular things. They took them off of the boxes uh, because we were trying to be racially sensitive and trying to reconcile the masses. And I believe that in July of 2021, when the attention got taken off of George Floyd, when we could have been looking at police reform, when we could have been looking at judicial reform, when we could have been paying attention to prison reform, when we could have been trying to close the economic gap, the educational gap, and putting together real grassroots solutions that dealt with the problem at hand, our attention got diverted. Uh, Malcolm X said, and it's a very, very powerful speech. Everybody knows it. It's a popular speech. Um, but, but Malcolm X said that the greatest threat to the black man is the white liberal uh, because he comes in under the auspice of the fox, not the wolf. He said, when you see the wolf, you know what the wolf is about. He's snarling. He sees you as prey. 
He said, but when you see the fox, the fox has teeth, but he looks and appears that he's smirking to you. And so Malcolm X said that the greatest threat to the black man in America is the white liberal that comes alongside of you and portrays himself to be your friend all of the all of the while using your blackness as a leverage tool to enhance his own agenda. And I believe that's what happened in 2020. I want to show you a couple of things. Um, uh, those who are listening uh, on Pandora and Spotify, I'm, I'm showing some pictures right now, and I'll have uh, Miss Dominique put these pictures up. But this is a picture of Aunt Jemima um, that was taken off of the syrup bottle. And many of us have used this uh, exclusively on our waffles and our pancakes. Mrs. Uh, Aunt Jemima is just a staple of syrup. Uh, but in the cultural appropriation of July of 2020, there were people that looked at this particular person on this syrup bottle and got really offended that there was a black woman on the syrup bottle and said that that was inherently racist. And so they removed Aunt Jemima from the syrup bottle, who's been on the syrup bottle since 1923. But what we failed to realize about Aunt Jemima is that Aunt Jemima is actually a real woman. Uh, by the name of Nancy Green. Uh, Nancy Green is actually the person behind uh, Aunt Jemima, and she was a slave, and she was born a slave in 1834, but migrated to uh, Chicago to work as a nurse um, and as a housekeeper for the prominent Walker family. Uh, but Aunt Jemima was this person that uh, was not only a great person, not only a philanthropist, not only an entrepreneur, but Aunt Jemima, Nancy Green, the person behind Aunt Jemima, was actually a missionary. Uh, she was a missionary. She would go to the inner city and take food relief to the impoverished areas. Uh, Nancy Green, uh, who was the person behind Aunt Jemima, was an actual uh, person who was very prominent in her community. Uh, but here it is. We said we looked at Aunt Jemima and said Aunt Jemima has got to go. This cultural appropriation, this trying to get things right has got to go because that is inherently racist. But watch this. By taking Aunt Jemima off of the syrup bottle, you also took away the history and the legacy of Nancy Green. For those who are watching and those who are listening, this is the first time that you've ever heard of Nancy Green. Well, guess what? Her legacy as a black woman, a black philanthropist, a black entrepreneur, a black missionary, a black uh, ministry worker who loved the Lord and did great things for her community. Now her legacy is being scrubbed from the American landscape because there were those who thought that this particular picture was too racist and it did not represent black culture. The cancel culture of our day, trying to force appropriations upon the masses, but doing things that actually hurt us in great ways. They took um, uh, off of the cream of wheat bottle. I'm going to show you just a couple of things here. Took him off of the cream of wheat bottle. We're going to get to him in just a second. He has a fabulous, fabulous story. Mrs. Butterworth. And that Mrs. Butterworth was one of these things that um, I personally did not understand why they were going after. Miss um, Butterworth is not, uh, she is not a, um, a particular ethnicity. Um, many say that this is Miss um, uh, Betsy McQueen that appeared as the nanny in Gone with the Wind. 
Um, but Mrs. Butterworth is not a character. So, but when people looked at her, they considered her to be a mammy type of role. And so many people that looked at all of these other black faces on these food items said, not only is Aunt Jemima, not only is the cream of wheat racist, but Mrs. Butterworth, who is not ethnically described in any way, shape or form, she's also racist as well. They also took the Indian off of Land of Lakes, the butter that we all enjoy. Uh, so they said that the Indian being on the Land of Lakes is racist. Now watch this. They took the Indian off but kept the land. Does that not remind you of what they did to the Indians way back in the 1700s? So they took the Indian off of the land of Lakes Carton. And no matter where you go, Kroger, H-E-B, no matter where you shop, you'll never see this picture on that um, butter carton again. It is gone and it is gone forever because somebody said that having an Indian on land of Lakes is offensive. So they got rid of the Indian and kept the land. The same thing they did when they exterminated Indians uh, by the masses in the 1700s. But ironically enough, they kept Colonel Sanders on KFC. So they took off all of the black faces, all of the minority faces, but they kept uh, Colonel Sanders off of on KFC. They kept the Quaker on the oatmeal box. They kept the Burger King man doing the Burger King ads. They kept Little Debbie on the snack cakes. They kept the Wendy's model on Wendy's. They kept Chef Boyardee on the ravioli. They kept uh, this little nice, pretty little girl here on the Sunmaid. So, so, so watch what they did now. They've completely eradicated the black culture, Aunt Jemima, uh, all of the people that have, that have been staples in the community, they completely got rid of all of these. Now, when you go get syrup right now, it does not have a picture of Angel Mama. So the, the, the legacy of, uh, of Miss Nancy Green of the 1920s, her legacy is quickly being scrubbed from the American landscape. Now watch this. And people actually think that they're doing a good thing by doing that. Even so much as last Thursday, Hasbro, the big toy company, said that they are getting rid of Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head. Yes, you heard me right. Hasbro, the, the toy company, said that they are getting rid of Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head. Because Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head, by them having specific genders, offends a portion of our population. So now... The potato head uh, toy, you know, you stick his ears on, you stick his nose on, you stick his feet on, you, you know, give him a big old Kool-Aid smile. That guy, the, 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 the Mr. Potato Head, the same Mr. Potato Head that was in Toy Story 1 and 2, <laughs> the, the Mr. Potato Head. Now, because we call him Mr. or Mrs. Potato Head, that offends somebody because he has a specific gender. Now, Hasbro, this big, huge Toy Company has now said they're going to create gender neutral potato heads. I want you to think about where we are right now. Coca-Cola, the, the, the vast giant Coca-Cola, 
the one that everybody knows, it's, it's, it's an interesting story that I always tell about Coca-Cola, is when we go to the remote places in Africa to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, I mean, we got to travel out some real far distances to get to some of these villages. But no matter where we go in Africa, no matter where I go in Central and South America, even in India, no matter where I go, if the gospel has not been proclaimed there, I guarantee you're going to see a Coke sign. You're going to see buildings that they have painted with the Coke logo. Coke has gotten to the places where the gospel has not. Uh, the Coke, uh, uh, when you go into these little communities, they paint their buildings with the Coke signs and Pepsi signs. So Coke is all over Africa, all over Central and South America. It's everywhere. But Coke just had a conference call with their higher up leadership. And this, and, and everybody, you, all you got to simply do is just Google this. They've made it public to the masses so everybody can see it. Coke said to their senior leadership that we have to be less white. So Coke said to his senior leadership that we have to be less white. That's what we have to do because of the cultural appropriations that are going on right now, the racial appropriations that are going on right now. We need to be less white. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about this black man, black woman. I want you to think about if somebody came to you and say, be less black. I want you to think about how that would make you feel if somebody came to you and said, hey, Mr. or Mrs. Black man, black woman, you need to be less black. And in many times and in many circles, you've even heard that. And I want you to think about the offense that came to you when somebody told you to be less black or less ethnic or less whoever you are. I want you to think about what, how you felt about that, the insistment, the anger that you felt when somebody told you to be less of the person who God created you to be. Well, Coca-Cola did not seem fit or did not see a problem with doing that because they had all of their senior leadership which trickled all the way down to the bottom of the leadership about being less white because now being white is offensive. Now being white offends black people. Well, everybody, we're getting to the point right now to where this is not only getting ridiculously out of control, it is getting way, way, way out of control. When they took uncle Ben off of the box, uh, took uncle Ben off of his rice box. Many of us know uncle Ben's that's what we use. Uh, uncle Ben was a staple of, of rice, now, going all the way back to 1946, when Uncle Ben, or 1943, excuse me, when, when Uncle Ben made his, um, his introduction into the public square, uh, Uncle Ben was actually based on an elderly African man by the name of Frank Brown. Uh, and Frank Brown was a rice farmer. And Frank Brown was this black rice farmer who, who propagated his crops in such a way that his rice tasted better than any other rice farmer of his day. He was known in the North and in the South and all over the United States because of his rice crops. Uncle Ben was based on a man named Frank Brown, who was a black rice cropper. Now, this man from 1943 all the way up until 2020, donned the package of Uncle Ben, the man with the bow tie, Uncle Ben, Uncle Ben, the, the, the black guy that's on the um, uh, uh, box of Uncle Ben's, the one with the bow tie. He has donned that since 1946 all the way up until 2020. But in June, July of 2020, some people got around in the think tank and looked at the box of Uncle Ben and said, you know what? Uncle Ben's picture being on this rice box is racist and offensive. And we need to get rid of it. 
We need to take the face of the face of this black man off of the box that has been on this box since 1946 because he is culturally insensitive and racially insensitive to the masses. And so a group of people in the think tank uh, said that, you know what, this is a great idea. This is how we're going to race appropriate America is by taking faces off of the boxes. But what they did was also take history away in the same swoop. Because this age of cultural appropriation and this age of cancel culture and and this age that if I don't like you, I do something about it is getting to a place of epic proportions. And so everybody in the same vein that they take all of the black and the minority faces off. Y'all remember Goya. Uh, Goya is a uh, Spanish company. Matter of fact, it is the largest uh, Spanish owned company in America. Goya beans, Goya rice, all of these things that went on. Y'all remember AOC, Alexander uh, Ocario uh, Cortez. Uh, she put out a tweet some months ago, about six months ago, and railed against Goya because of their uh, Spanishness. And so here's is Goya, which is just researchers, everybody. It is the largest Spanish owned company in America. That has been in existence over 40 years. Make some pretty good refi brains because I have them all the time when I go to Guatemala uh, and play in Chicken Malia, do some some wonderful uh, refi bring, uh, beans. But in this age of cultural appropriation, what we're trying to do is get rid of everything that offends us. Now, hear this, everybody. I said at the beginning, if you've been around any older person for any length of time, they will tell you this. Your grandmother, your mama, your daddy, people who are older, people who are well more mature. They will say if you don't know your history, then you are doomed to repeat it. Erasing your history doesn't get rid of the history. It just erases the ability to talk about that history. And as an African-American man that has been black my entire life, uh, I'll be 48 years old this year, should God spare my life. I've been black the entire 48 years. I know what it means to be black. Uh, I don't need somebody telling me how to be black in the space by which I occupy. I, I occupy this space every single day of my life. Right. So I understand how to be black. But one of the things that I love about our history that as sorted and, and, and with the best punches that people could throw at us and that America threw at us and, and with all the hell they shot our way with the with the highest amounts of evil that they portrayed against the African-Americans, taking them from Africa, bringing them to America and all that we have endured as a people since 1619 uh, and coming over here to the Americas and of all of that that we have endured. Endured, we are still here and we're not just here. We are enduring and we are prospering. So the American existence, uh, and that's why I don't, uh, you know, uh, while I celebrate Black History Month, I believe that black history is American history. And so you don't just give me a month to talk about and celebrate the people that everybody else talk about. Amer black history is American history. It is world history because the inventions of black America have gone not just here in America, but all over the world. OK, we have added to this society, to this to this culture. We have contributed in great, great, great ways. So please hear this. I don't need a white person telling me how to be black. I don't need cultural appropriations from somebody other than a black person. Like you don't understand what it means to be in this space. 
Right. And so when you're looking at all of this stuff that is going on right now, we have taken our eyes so far off the mark that the, the opportunities that we could have seized to bring forth real change and real benefit to the masses have now just been uh, specifically determined to a to a, a specific group of people. And it is because we allowed our eyes to be taken off of the course. Now, as we talk about this whole cultural appropriation and as we talk about this whole cancel culture that we're in right now, everybody, we have to be very, very diligent about this. I want you to hear something from my heart. I know that not everybody shares the same opinion. I listen, I will fight for your right to do what you want to do. Within legal means. Now, I'm not going to give you the right to go out there and harm somebody physically and to do all those other things. I know that the First Amendment, the freedom of speech does have limitations. You can't walk into a crowded movie theater and yell fire. I get that. But I will fight for the right for you to believe whatever you believe, because that's your right to believe it. That's your right to 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 hold that stance. That's your belief. That's your right to speak what you believe. That's completely within your right. And even though I may disagree with you and we may disagree vehemently, I will fight for the right for you to have that opinion because that's your opinion. But when I snuff you down, when I cancel you out, simply because your opinion does not match mine, we are entering into dangerous territory. It's dangerous, everybody. It is absolutely dangerous when we begin to start shutting down people because we don't like. There is a difference between hate speech and speech that you hate. There's a big difference between hate speech and speech that you hate. And you have to be able to clearly define which is which. And I am desperately concerned about the the and I've been concerned about this not within the last year uh, withstanding, but I've been concerned about this for the last seven to eight years. Uh, my wife will testify to you about this. I've got journal entries to where I've talked about what's going on because I try to match up what's going on in our world with what the Bible says is going to be happening in the last days. And so I try to match those things up to see and to make sure that I'm navigating in the right direction. But cancel culture is real. A cancel culture is real. Listen, uh, I got shadow banned uh, a few weeks ago about a post that I put up about abortion. It had mysteriously disappeared. It, it, it mysteriously disappeared. When I put up a post about um, uh, uh, the, the evilness of abortion and them celebrating the, 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 uh, the passing of abortion in Argentina, where they were throwing all night parties uh, about the, the, the passing of the law of killing babies. And I put a post up there saying that God honors and protects babies. And I spoke out against abortion. I got shadow banned. That particular post got taken down and I didn't take it down. I didn't get a, I didn't get an explanation from it. It was just mysteriously gone. I had a young lady here in our church that came up to me a couple of weeks ago and said that she looked at one of our podcasts where it had almost 4,000 views within four days. She looked at that one and she told other friends about it. The following podcast, and you can go back and look at this on our YouTube, the following podcast got like 300 views. When we start talking about race, when we start talking about all the things that were going on in the land, we talk about some stuff that is not popular at the time. But hear this, hear this, this is important. This cancel culture will come to your doorstep. It is not just for public companies. It is not just for big, big media moguls. It is not just for those in the public eye. It will come to your address soon. 
Uh, the, the news media is full of people who have opinion and who have expressed opinions on Facebook and other social media profiles and have been let go from their jobs because of things that they've posted. Now, I understand the line that has to be walked. I understand that whatever job that you may have, you are an appropriation of that job, even when you're not at that job. That's when you get your code of conduct. You sign that paperwork that says, I promise to represent this particular company in a professional manner, whether I'm at work or not at work. That's the professional code of conduct that many of us, uh, hopefully all of us, have read through and have signed when you sign up to work at whatever company that you're working at. You are abs- you are saying that I'm going to represent this company in a positive way. That's not what I'm talking about with cancel culture. That's not what I'm talking about uh, uh, cultural appropriations. Those are two different things. Those things should be done. If I'm going out there and representing the Church of Bethel's family in a way that is not consistent with the values of Bethel's family, then I need to be brought into the church. I need to be brought into the office and had hard conversations about how I am betraying the job in which I work for on the outside of these walls. That's a conversation that needs to be had. If I am going against the values and the principles and the core mission statement of whatever job that I'm working at. That's a different story that we are talking about. But cancel culture does not take into all that. Cancel culture says, I disagree with you. And because I disagree with you, I'm going to cancel you. And it is absolutely dangerous that we are in this space right now. All you have to simply do is look at any debate and then come out on the other side of whatever is norm during that particular time and watch what happens to you. Watch how they will come after you with such force, with such veracity, with such ill intent, not to open up the discussion to hear your point of view, not for you to hear their point of view. And so that both people can eventually grow in the conversation, but it is to shut one person down. Now, hear this, everybody. Our democracy is built on discourse. From the highest level all the way down to the basics of human nature and relationship are built on discourse. When you eliminate discourse from the public square, what do you have? You don't have anything. Um, When you go into a court of law, you have a prosecutor and you have a defense attorney. You have somebody in the middle called the judge who is supposed to be a non-biased source who hears the discourse between the the prosecutor and the defense attorney and makes a non-biased decision based on the discourse of those two attorneys. Discourse is a part of what we do, and it is how we have become the uh, the United States of America, the beacon light that the world looks to and looks at and says, well, America is doing it. And if America is doing it, then it must be right. But when you eliminate discourse, there can be no healthy marriage without a discourse. You can't raise your children in a productive way without discourse. When you eliminate the ability to talk, even through uncomfortable issues, then you eliminate the ability to grow. Your, your mind cannot be expanded because you eliminate the opportunity for discourse. And when you shut it down simply because you don't agree with it, you enter into a very, very dangerous situation. And so here we are in 2021 where we are culturally appropriating every single thing. Everything is racist here in uh, here in Houston, Texas, which is where I stay. Uh, we just came through a hard freeze. Uh, we came through a hard freeze, man. It got down to 14 degrees. It snowed. 
Um, and it was really, really cold. Texas ain't built for that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, we are tropical weather kind of people. We get uh, um, the cold might be 30 degrees, but when they get down into the teens, it's really, really cold. So when the cold happened in, in Houston and the surrounding areas, even in the state of Texas, um, the power grid was not able to handle the load uh, that was being forced up on it. People turning their heaters all the way up to, you know, 80 to try to warm their houses. And they were running all of these things. And the grid, the Texas grid, could not handle that surge of power that was being inflicted on it. So the generators that were running the grids broke down. Right. Because it was not able to handle that. Now, that's an infrastructure problem. Now, we're living in 2021 where we should be if we can put a person on the moon, then we should be able to have an infrastructure grid that is able to handle those kind of problems. But that's an infrastructure problem. Right. And so we had a rolling blackout. So every, not every, because a lot of people got through those three, four, five days without losing any power, but 75, I think the number was 75 to 82 percent of all of the Houston area, and I'm talking about Houston specifically, experienced a blackout. Even here at the church, we lost lights. Everybody on my street, we lost lights. We lost lights on Tuesday at 2.38 in the morning. I know it specifically because I was up watching a movie at 2.30 in the morning. Lights went off. We were out without lights for 36 hours. So there were rolling blackouts, right? So people that had power on Monday, uh, on Tuesday, you didn't have power. We got the power back on Wednesday around 3 o'clock in the afternoon, um, and as we got power back in our house, my mother-in-law, who lives about 20 minutes from me, her power went out. So now it was time for her neighborhood to experience a blackout. Even during that freeze, Fox 26 and Channel 11 ran a story about how black people were affected more harshly in this freeze than white people. Uh, just go back and look at their Facebook uh, posts. Uh, Fox 26 and, and CBS Channel 11 here in Houston ran a story post freeze that said that black people were more affected by the freeze than white people. Now, and, and, and when I saw this news line come, you know, hit my phone that we are now saying that cold weather is racist that cold weather affected black people more than it affected white people. I have black and white people on my street. Everybody in my neighborhood, black, white, Indian, uh, Asian, Hispanic, we all lost lights. My mother lost lights right down the street. The church in Bethel's family lost light. White churches lost light. Hispanic churches lost light. That wasn't, you know, the, the, the cold weather wasn't coming and knocking on people's doors and seeing who was behind the door before it hit them. But we made the freeze and a rolling blackout racist. We managed to put a racism component to what happened that was very unfortunate that we got to talk about how to fix that thing moving forward, how to get a better infrastructure on our power grid so that in the event, in the unlikely event that that happens again, it won't happen again. That's a discussion that we need to have about infrastructure not about race, not about people in third war got turned off. They, they lights got turned off. People in River Oaks, they lights got turned off. Fifth war, they lights got turned off. Bel Air, they lights got turned off. That's what's called a rolling blackout. And it was done. I don't know all the particulars of it. I tried to find out about this company called ERCOT, who is now on the public landscape and everybody knows about it. 
But a rolling blackout means that certain communities, certain neighborhoods uh, go without power in order to conservate uh, energy. Right. And so as it began to start heating up, I think by the end of the week on Saturday, after we had gotten through that hard week, we had almost 95, 97 percent lights. And by the end of the week on Monday, everybody will restore back to their own lighting capacities. But I get frustrated in this and, and frustrated maybe it's, no, it's not a strong word. I was frustrated because everything is not racist, everybody. Everything is not racist. Everything doesn't under every rock is not a racist. Uh, There's not something that you can point to after everything that goes wrong. And if we don't get a hold of this very, very quickly, if we don't wrap our hands around this very, very quickly, this is going to be like a spark that starts in the forest. It'll start with a, a simple spark and then it'll turn into a California wildfire. And before you know it, the wheels are going to be off and it's going to be so far in front of us that we can't catch that speed and train. And it, it, it is an amazing thing that we are now in this space uh, full of uh, a society of educated people, um, full of a society where people are graduating college in record numbers. Um, the educational gap is being shrunk. Uh, we're living in a world of, of enlightened people. But even in this society of enlightened people, people are not so enlightened. And so this age of cancel culture has to stop. Because, listen, I'm going to say some things if you're around me long enough that you're not going to agree with. Uh, I, I praise God this month we'll be celebrating me and my lovely wife, 20 years of marriage, 25 years of knowing each other. I, I, I love this woman dearly. We've been together for 20 solid years. I've been married to the same woman for 20 years. She will tell you, I've said some things to her in 20 years that she does not agree with. She says some things to me in 20 years that I have not agreed with. It's called life. It, it's called human interaction. Uh, It's called working in society. That's what it's called. Now, again, I I don't think I have to preface this, but hopefully educated people and and smart minded people know this, that I'm not talking about allowing someone or an individual to go out there and spread, you know, uh, violence, uh, perpetrate violence against somebody, a particular group, uh, uh, a particular person, whatever that may be. Again, the First Amendment does have its limitations. And anybody that has read through that thing thoroughly understands the limitation that the First Amendment brings. But the but the thing that helps us to understand this is the freedom of thought and the freedom of expression. Now, one of the things that I said to a good friend of mine the other day, we'll take these things off. Because we say this misrepresents our beautiful black queens. Uh, That's what one guy who was in the think tank who came up with these asinine solutions to take Aunt Jemima and Uncle Ben's and Mrs. Butterworth's off the shelves because it does not put our black women in a positive light. And in the same breath, we allow rappers to uh, discriminate against our women, misogynize our women. Uh, We allow movies to portray our women in very negative roles. We allow the appropriations of social media to paint our women as these kind of women. We allow all of that to paint our beautiful black women in those kind of pictures. But this is unacceptable. 
Now, I will allow our black women to get up there scantily dressed and show off their bodies on all of these platforms. I will allow a man to misogynize a woman through his music, call her all types of names, call her out of her name, treat her like she is nothing. I have nothing to say against that. That particular artist will sell millions of copies of records. But then I'm going to throw black people a bone and take Aunt Jemima and Uncle Ben's off of the box because that's racially insensitive. Come on, people. Are we serious? This is where we are right now. And I always say this, everybody. Listen, if we're going to if you're going to give an argument, at least be balanced and consistent with your argument. See, I don't mind you having a belief. But just be consistent in your belief. Just be consistent with what you believe. Just know what you believe and why you believe it. We're going to get along fine, even if we don't agree. I I actually enjoy uh, talking to somebody that I don't agree with on a particular issue. I actually enjoy that process because it grows me as a person. I'm not going to throw you against the wall if you don't believe what I believe. If you don't believe that the Bible is is the inspired word of God, if you don't believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father, I personally believe those things. I personally believe that Jesus is God in the flesh, that he came down from heaven, that he walked 33 years, that he died on the cross of Calvary. He rose on the third day. He sits at the right hand, constantly making intercession for me. I believe that to the core of my my being, but I will make space for you if you don't believe it. That's the great thing, that God is too much of a gentleman to force himself on you. Everybody, just because you don't agree with something don't mean that it's bad. Now, there are some things that we agree with that are bad, but just because you don't agree with a particular thing does not mean that it is bad. And so now here we are. We got this set of rules for this group of people, but we got a whole nother set of rules for this group of people. And I'm saying that if you're going to be consistent, have the same set of rules that apply universally across the board. If we're going to honor races, if we're going to honor the black race, the white race, the Hispanic race, the Asian race and every other race out there, if we're going to honor those uh, those particular ethnicities, then we got to be consistent. We, 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 We have to be consistent. You can't give me one thing for this and another thing for that. This cancel culture right now is at a place to where it is quickly getting out of control. And if we don't rein this thing in. It's going to be so far gone. I, um, the, the, there's a movie called Unstoppable by uh, Denzel Washington. And in this movie, Unstoppable, Denzel is a train conductor. Um, and at the beginning of the movie, as they are loading these trains, there is a 40 something car train and they are loading it up. And as it is going through the train station, uh, one of the workers accidentally puts it in gear. And as he puts it in gear, this unmanned train is now starting to pick up steam. And so you got 40 something cars traveling down this railroad track that's getting up to speeds of 70 miles an hour. Right. And here it is, this train that is going down the tracks with 40 something cars behind it, barreling down the track, knocking down anything in its way. And so they're sending cops and and National Guards to all of these towns where railroad tracks go through them. Because they're cutting off the railroad tracks so that nobody goes across and they are, you know, evacuating buildings that are close to these railroad tracks. But the crescendo of the actual movie is when this this train, this runaway train is getting ready to go through the city of Ohio, Scranton, Ohio, and is getting ready to make a turn, a 180 degree turn. But it's going 60, 70 miles an hour. 
and going at that rate of speed, making that turn, the threat is, is that it's going to tilt to off track and fall off of the tracks and destroy everything down beneath it, which would cause a dramatic catastrophe in this particular uh, city. So Denzel and this other guy who is a conductor, they go out of their way to get to the uh, front of the train, to the actual uh, power of the train, to put this thing in neutral and bring this thing to uh, a halting stop. Wonderful movie called Unstoppable, uh, Denzel Washington, which is, you know, of course, one of my favorite actors. But it's a great movie. But I thought about that when I was watching it. The train started off slow, but it began to pick up speed. And before you know it, the train, which was controllable at one point, now is a great threat to everybody around it. And it is because they allowed the train to get out of control, to start moving too fast. And everything that was behind it, everything that was in front of it, everything that was on the side of it was now going to be collateral damage. Everybody, we have to get to a place um, as, as a society where we learn to honor one another. I want to bring this to a close by by telling you a couple of things. One, um, I, I understand that, um, you know, I am an analytical guy. Uh, numbers matter to me. Um, I look at data. Data matters. Um, and for those who don't think that that numbers matter, there's a whole book in the Bible called Numbers. Uh, so numbers matter. Uh, so I look at the data, look at the trends. I believe that datas and trends help you to gauge where you're at and where you're going. Businesses use it all the time um, in order to forecast and do all that they do. Churches even use it um, in order to forecast ministry projects and things of that nature. So we look at data. Data is important. Um, and, and typically, um, the 30,000 foot view is that numbers don't lie. Now, numbers can lie depending on who's inputting the numbers. But data is generally very concrete and it's very non-biased, like data is non-biased, or at least it's supposed to be. And so when you're looking at numbers and doing your research and doing things like that before you formulate opinions, um, it's very important that you do things like that because it helps you uh, to, to gain a balanced um, approach. And I believe balance is the thing that we're missing right now in America. Uh, we're living right now in a diver in a divided nation. Um, America has always been divided when you look at our elections going all the way back to the early 1900s. Um, but it is more politically charged and divided now than it ever has. Um, at one point in time, there were people called liberal Republicans and there were people that were called moderate Democrats. So you had those who were committed to the Democratic Party, but they were moderate in their view in their views. They believed in the core concepts of the Democratic Party, uh, but they also believed that there were some breaks that needed to be put in place. On the other side, you have Republicans who were ultra committed to the conservative cause, but they also believed in some liberal freedoms. And so they wanted not the, the conservative party to open overextend its reach and make mandates of what should have been voluntary choices. So you had liberal Republicans and you had moderate Democrats. Well, those two subsections of those two parties are gone. There are no more moderate Democrats. There are no more liberal Republicans. You're either all the way to one side or all the way to the other side. Uh, there's a young lady by the name of Tulsi Gabbard. 
Uh, Tulsi Gabbard was on the Democratic side and she ran for president in 2019. Uh, she was one of those in the political field uh, vying for the presidency um, of the United States. Uh, I like um, Tulsi Gabbard because she is a balanced um, lady on the Democratic side. She speaks uh, very, very down to earth. Uh, she said when she came into Congress in 2017, on the very first day of Congress, if you follow her on Twitter, you can find this story. Um, and also when she did the uh, podcast on the Joe Rogan podcast, she spoke about this as well. Um, but she said on her first day of Congress, when they were initiating the freshman Congress uh, into the halls of Congress, that after the first hour and a half of the initiation or the inauguration, excuse me, she said immediately after that, as you walk out of the big chamber after being inaugurated into the United States Congress, uh, immediately, and she stressed the word immediately, as each as each representative is leaving the chambers, you automatically go to your section. So she said you got freshman Republican and freshman Democrats all in the chambers for this freshman inauguration. But as soon as it is over, Democrats go to their side, Republicans go to their side. And she said that from the inauguration, from the inauguration, there is no more cross collaboration between Republican and Democrat. She said she was absolutely astounded by how partisan Congress were. And even if there were grassroots issues that can help every American, no matter what party affiliation that they were, she said it was the underlying rule that Republicans don't work with Democrats and Democrats don't work with Republicans regardless of what was on the table to help the American public. And I found that absolutely amazing. That's in the halls of Congress with those who are making decisions on behalf of you and me. And make no mistake about it, what happens up there in the halls of Congress and in the Senate and in the White House, when those laws are passed, they will eventually make their way down to Main Street. And that's what she said, that there is no cross-party affiliation. And, and, and I believe that it's going to get worse before it gets better if we, those who are logical and those who are sensible, if we can look and say, you know what, man, listen, uh, that's your opinion. I had a, a <laughs> yesterday, um, I had a conversation with a good friend here, um, uh, and she shares some opinions that I don't share <laughs> Uh, but I love her to pieces. I love her to pieces. Uh, she is a lightning rod. And we were discussing yesterday, and she has some very strongly held beliefs. Um, and it's about um, uh, some things that are going on in our culture right now and what's happening in the Senate and what's happening in Congress and uh, the people that are being passed. And we got to discussing this. And she got some very uh, strong opinions about that. And, and 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 me and this uh, sister, uh, we don't agree on the particular issues that we were discussing. But as we walked away from the discussion, she's still a friend. You know, I, I'm still her friend. I'm still her pastor. Right. Even though we don't agree on those particular issues that we were discussing, uh, it wasn't a knockdown, drag out fight. We wasn't cussing each other out. We didn't throw things at each other. We didn't call each other names because one had an opinion that the other one didn't agree with. It's just that that's the way that you believe. Praise God for it. This is what I believe. This is why I believe it. I'm able to clearly articulate that. You believe what you believe. Now, listen, at the end of the day, I honor what you believe. I don't agree with it, but I give you the space. And I respect you enough as a human being to give you that space to have that opinion. 
Cancel culture is going after that belief. Um, and I believe our Lord and Savior modeled that to the hilt. This cancel culture is getting out of control, everybody. Just because you don't agree with what I believe, just because you don't agree with what I say, just because you don't believe in what another person believes, fine. Go find something else to do, right? As everybody else does, life goes on. Everybody, you know, life goes on. Listen, life, this world will continue to spin whether you own it or not. Right. So the world does not the sun does not rise and set to your whims. Right. The world is very, very intricate and it can function quite well uh, without our involvement. And so I want to uh, um, uh, going back to my original statement. um, It's important to me because of the platform that I use. Um, The Bible is a a (laughs) let me tell you, God says some stuff in the Bible. Uh, Jesus says some stuff in the Bible that goes counterculture um, in every way, shape or form. Um, and, and, and I believe that the church is now within the crosshairs of cancel culture. I believe that it is coming to a doorstep near us. Uh, I believe that it is coming and it is coming very, very soon. You don't have to read too far in the Bible Um, to see that some of the things that the Bible says are very controversial in 2021. And all somebody has got to say is that I don't agree with it and it offends me and they're coming after us. So cancel culture is not just for celebrities. It's not just for companies. It's not just for politicians. It's coming to everybody's doorstep. And so if we don't allow people the space, the discourse, uh, of of the public area, the public arena to exercise thoughts and ideas and perspectives. Um, we're going to cease to grow. We're going to cease to expand because America cannot expand based on one person's interpretation. America expands on a cooperative effort from all parties involved. And I say parties by people, not um, uh, party affiliations. Canceling cancel culture. We got to do it. We got to cancel, cancel culture. Um, We got to cancel, cancel culture um, because it's going to destroy um, the very things that we've worked so very diligently to do and to build. So I want to encourage you, man, that um, as you are strolling through, uh, I do this a lot on my Facebook feed, on my uh, Twitter feed and, and, and the social media platforms that I'm engaged in. I see a whole lot of stuff from people that I'm friends with that I don't agree with. And 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 I don't chime in. I, I don't get into an online debate about whatever that topic may be on your Facebook, Instagram or Twitter, because those are that that's your Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. You can put whatever you want to on it. If I don't like it, I just simply scroll past it. Like I'm not going to make a big fuss about it. I'm not I'm not going to get on your page and argue you down about something that you believe. If I personally do not agree with it, if it's not a, a, a belief that I hold dear, I'm just going to simply do my finger like this and just scroll past it. You got the right to put whatever you want on there. It's your page. OK, but I'm not going to cancel you because I don't agree with you. And I pray in Jesus' name, I pray this in Jesus' name, everybody, that we would take the lasso, corral that wild horse, you know, get on the get on the conductor's train and put that thing back into neutral because right now the train is moving down the track at 70 miles an hour. And man, that train is going to be hard to stop if we let it go any further. 
So I'm encouraging you in Jesus' name to be very, very, um, I, I, I dare say open, uh, but consistent in what you believe. Uh, allow people the space to disagree. Allow people the dignity to disagree. Allow people the respect to disagree. And 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 let's let's as much as we can. Not that it'll be a kumbaya moment. I get that. Not that it will be a kumbaya moment because some of these divisions are staunchly divided. I get that. Um, but at the end of the day, everybody, you get to kind of believe what you want to believe. Um, and I hold that to be true as a pastor. I'll never force my biblical belief on anybody that does not want to accept my biblical belief. Uh, matter of fact, the Bible says when, when, they, when they reject you, you shake the dust off your feet and you move on to the next one. Uh, that's what the Bible has told me to do. And so I try to appropriate that with every aspect of my life. When you talk to me about whatever issues that may be going on and I tell you what I tell you, uh, just know, first of all, that I've researched it. I've done my due diligence. And if you don't agree with it, that's fine. I still love you. Uh, we can still be friends. We can still be associates. We can still talk. We can still be cordial. All of that is true. Um, if you choose to do other with it, <clears throat> again, I'll honor that as well. If you choose to end the relationship because of opinions that we do not hold together, I will honor that as well. And so this cancel culture, we have to be able to put the brakes on it. Black America, uh, listen, um, you know, the Bible says in Psalm 139, we are fearfully, not just talking about black people, but you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, we've endured. We have prospered. Uh, we've done more. um uh as a race than we have in our entire history. Uh, and we don't need all of this other help um, from all of these outside entities trying to pacify us um, on being black, <laughs> as if being black is a burden. Uh, being black is not a burden. Uh, God, uh, through his infinite wisdom, um, through the sons of Noah, said that we're going to come through uh, the lineage of Ham. That's what God, through his infinite wisdom, said. He said, I'm going to make you guys black. You're going to be born black. He said to the white person, I'm going to, you're going to be born white. To the Asian, you're going to be born Asian. To the Hispanic, you're going to be born Hispanic. Like, I didn't get to check a box before I came into the world. It's just how things worked out. And so it's not a curse. It's not a burden. I don't have any privilege I don't have anything that's ascribed to me. I understand the culture in which we're living in right now, but it's not a burden for me to be black. And so I don't want you to look at my blackness in a way in which you think that you have to constantly intervene in it. I don't need that. Uh, we don't need that. Um, allow us the space to do what we do and to prosper as we always have with the help of God and the direction of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we are going to be just fine. You're going to be okay. You're going to be okay because God ultimately is in control. So canceling cancel culture, everybody in Jesus name over the next couple of weeks, next couple of months, uh, we're going to have some dynamic guests in here. Uh, I heard you ladies. I heard you ladies. Uh, we will have a couple of ladies within the next, uh, six weeks, next seven weeks. Um, well, going all the way until May. 
Uh, so we'll have a few ladies uh, on the podcast as guests uh, here on the set of Studio B uh, to talk about some issues that are prevalent, not just from society, but from a woman's perspective um, to get them engaged in what's going on. Um, we're going to have some fascinating guests. I, I pray in Jesus name that you tune in, that you like, follow, subscribe. Make sure everybody that wherever you're watching this from, this is important. If you're on Facebook right now, hit that share button. Uh, do a watch party, do a host watch party, do some comments. If you like it, like it. If you don't like it, don't like it. Just leave some type of interaction there so that we know that you're being engaged on the set. If you're on Twitter, uh, do a retweet, do a heart. Man, make sure you comment on that as well. Instagram, you know, hit that little button, double tap the screen, hit that like button. Uh, it's also on TikTok. If you're on TikTok now, if you're on YouTube, like, comment, share, uh, make sure that you're subscribed, hit that bell to the right so that every time something comes up, you are in the know with what's going on in Studio B. Again, thank you for 3,000 plus subscribers. It is a blessing from God. And man, as our pastor always says, the best is yet to be. We are just now getting started. And I believe that God has a tremendous future for what we're doing here on the set of Studio B. So thank you, everyone, for your support. God bless you, God keep you, and God prosper you. God is in control. God has got you no matter where you are in life. God is able to handle whatever we're going through. Be encouraged, be safe, stay faithful, stay focused. God's got you. We'll see you next week.